gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host, and we're going to be talking today uh, about a couple things, and this is kind of going to be a two-parter, because this week we're going to be talking about why law and gospel is important. We're going to be talking about uh, law and gospel is a reform thing. Uh, some people seem to think it's only Lutheran, and we're going to show that it's been around since the Reformation in the Reformed camp, and uh just why it's important that we recognize some of the things that happens when we don't recognize it. And then next week, we're going to be talking about, um, you know, the division of the law and the uses of the law. And so we won't get into that this week. It does fit into what we're talking about today, but we're going to focus on that more next week. So Rachel, I'm going to let you kind of start um, and talk about the covenant of works and covenant of grace. Yeah, this really is, um, you know, as we've been talking about the essential doctrines and the, the things of the faith that are important for us to, to know what we believe and where we stand. This is another one that is, uh, is, is truly essential that we understand and that we, that we get it right. Uh, because of the effect that it has uh, on the rest of Scripture and how we understand Scripture, but also very practically how we understand our faith and how we uh, share the gospel with others. So, when we're talking about law and gospel, uh, we start with uh, the Reformed understanding of the covenant, so covenant theology. And the Reformed understanding is that there are two covenants. There's the covenant of works and there's the covenant of grace. And the Covenant of Works, this is from uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, is the first covenant that was made with man. It was the Covenant of Works, and it says, Life was promised to Adam, to him, uh, in him to his posterity, upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. And, of course, when this covenant was made with Adam, Adam was capable, uh, before the fall, of keeping the covenant. 
but he didn't. We know that. So the next question in the, the Shorter Catechism covers what happened uh, in, as a result of the fall. And it says, man by his fall, having made himself incapable of life by that covenant, the covenant of works, the Lord was pleased to make a second covenant, commonly called the covenant of grace. And it says, wherein God freely offered unto sinners life and salvation by Jesus Christ, requiring of them faith in him that they may be saved, and promising to give to those who are ordained into life his Holy Spirit to make them willing and able to believe. So, all believers, since the fall, are under the covenant of grace. And the important thing to remember there is then that all of Scripture is the unfolding of the gospel, the, the, the explaining, because you have the very beginning of it in Genesis 3, when the seed of the woman is promised, um, and then the unfolding of who this seed is, where he's coming from, what he will do, who he is, and then with the birth of Christ, who he is and what he has done for us in his life and death and resurrection. All of this, from start to finish, is the gospel. But throughout Scripture, we have uh, the law. And the law is how what God requires of us. And the law is good. Scripture says the law is good. Uh, psalm 119 is a whole psalm on the goodness of the law. Paul says that the law is good. The problem is, we are not. We are sinners and we can't keep the law. So, the gospel then is that Jesus Christ uh, was incarnate, was born of a woman, uh, took on uh, human nature, and he lived for us and obeyed for us, kept the law, did what Adam didn't do, uh, did what we can't do for ourselves. And then he died and uh, was resurrected, paid the punishment, the penalty for our sin, and took our punishment. And in his resurrection, he has merited for us, won for us, uh, salvation and eternal life and uh, his righteousness that we are given. All of these benefits that we have through Christ. Uh, as we are united to Christ through the Spirit, and as the confession says, or the catechism says, that the Spirit makes us willing and able to believe. And so then we have, throughout Scripture, we have the, the difference, the contrast between the law and the gospel. I think you just did such an excellent job right there, Rachel, explaining why this is so important, uh, because it really has so much to do, even our understanding of the gospel, and also what I was thinking about, even, even assurance, mm-hmm. Understanding this correctly is helpful when I'm thinking about who I am in Christ. And, you know, growing up, I would hear Jesus died for your sins, but understanding that Jesus also obeyed the law perfectly for me and why that's important that he did that is significant. So when we we think about the law and the gospel, you know, and Rachel talked about this a little bit, but the gospel promises, you know, it is, it's a promise of what Christ, in the Old Testament, we see the promise um, of, of a coming Savior, and we now have a promise of what, of what Christ has done for us, for his people, and the God, and the law commands, and I know there's often a lot of discussion currently about antinomianism and these different sorts of things. 
um, which we're going to also do an episode probably after the first of the year on that. So I wanted to throw that in because I know that can also come into this discussion. But Rachel shared with me uh, something that she had heard that I thought was really great. Uh, It's the difference between do this and live and live and do this. Next week, we're going to talk about the third use of the law. So the law does condemn us. We see, you know, we see where we fall short and we see our need for Christ because we fall short. But the law also um, shows us how we live as Christians, not because it merits us anything, but because of what Christ has done for us. And one of the things uh, I've talked about before that I learned Reformed Theology listening to the White Horse Inn that was a, I mean, it's still around, but it was on Christian radio. And they talked a lot about the indicative and the imperative. And I have a little quote here from from Michael Horton. The indicative is a declaration of what God has done and of who we are in Christ as a result. It defines us. That leads to the second category, the imperative. If the indicative tells us who we are already in Christ, the imperative instructs us in how we should therefore live out that new reality. Another article, and we'll link this in the the show notes, but uh, there's another article on Ligonier um, by Michael Horton on the law and the gospel. And I thought the quote really helps. What he says is, the law is good, but we are not. The law commands, but it cannot give. It tells us what must be done, but helping us get it done is simply not in the law's job description. It condemns us for violation, but it cannot exercise clemency for violators. And then a little later he says, Because Christ has fulfilled the covenant of works for us, we can inherit all of the everlasting promises in a covenant of grace. And we're going to link both of those articles um, from Michael Horton. He does such a great job on long gospel. And another person that does is um, R. Scott Clark. Um, has some really good articles that I'm going to link. And I think you might have um, some pod or Heidelcast episodes. So I wanted to talk about why law and gospel distinctions are important. And Rachel's kind of um, outlined in the beginning of this episode how this is part of our Reformed theology. And what I've talked to a, a dispensational friend about this, and, you know, he's said, to me, yeah, we don't distinguish in that way. And so you will you will see a difference. I know some of our listeners are maybe um, dispensationalists or, you know, come from that background. So this might be newer to you. But one of the things is correctly understanding justification and sanctification. So when we don't get the, the law right, we can kind of mess with how we understand, law and gospel right, we can mess with how we understand justification and sanctification. And I was just reading this week a section from the Belgic Confession I thought was helpful. It says, these works proceeding from the good root of faith are good and acceptable to God since they are all sanctified by his grace, yet they do not count toward our justification. For by faith in Christ, we are either justified even before we do good works, otherwise they could not be good, any more than the fruit of the tree could be good if the tree is not good in the first place. So then we do good works, but not for merit, for what would be merit. Rather, we are indebted to God for the good works we do, and not he to us, And since it is he that works in us both to will and to according to his good pleasure. So let me explain. Uh, so bear with me here, because I have a thought, and it, I, it'll come all together here. But what happens when we confuse 
law and gospel. And if you haven't listened to our Lordship Salvation episode, that would be a good place to start. Um, So in Lordship Salvation, John MacArthur calls the rich young ruler gospel. So you know what happens in the story of the rich young ruler. You know, what must I do to be saved? And, you know, I've done, I've done everything perfect, you know, what, and, you know, Jesus says, go sell all you have, blah, 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 blah. So, and he walks away crushed, sad. And if you say that that's gospel, so now the good news becomes sell all you have, that's not, that's not good news. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is um, a promise of what Christ has done for us. So now you're when you don't um, correctly distinguish law and gospel, you're now making law part of gospel. And so now bringing this back to justification and sanctification, we know we are justified by grace alone through faith alone on account of Christ alone. And we know that sanctification is a work of God's free grace that happens, that it's something that the Lord is doing in us, which results in us doing good works. And so getting all of these categories right, the the law, the, what the law does, which we'll get into next week, um, under, understanding the purposes of the law and understanding the gospel and understanding correctly things like justification and sanctification. If you get these categories confused, you may end up with Things like adding works to justification or redefining faith, which we've seen with both Lordship Salvation and uh, Federal Vision. And so they redefine faith. So now justification by faith takes a whole new meaning because they see no distinction between law and gospel and they include law with the gospel. So hopefully that all made sense. It makes sense in my mind. It does. It makes good sense. And... You know, this is where the concern about getting justification and sanctification right, this really does go back to the very root of the, the Reformation. This was the concern that that led to the Reformation. And because, the, as we said in our the episode on Federal Vision, when you add works to salvation in any way, when any part of it is dependent on us in that way, it all becomes bad news. It, no, there is no good news if we are in any way responsible for our salvation. Um, my, uh, I was in RUF in college, and my campus minister uh, used to tell us a, a way of, of understanding and, and of um, telling the difference between you know, justification, sanctification, understanding the difference between you know, that, that works mentality to save ourselves versus what we do as a result of the work of the Spirit in us. And what he would say is, um, you know, are you struggling to be free or are you free to struggle? And it stuck with me a really long time, and I say it often in, in discussions on these issues. But, you know, if we are in any way trying to secure our salvation because of our works, then we are struggling to be free. And there is no hope in that. However, if we have been set free by, by Christ, if we are free of sin, free of his, the, the, the power of sin in our lives and the Holy Spirit is at work in us, then we have been set free and we are now free to struggle against the indwelling sin that we have. 
And that distinction is crucial in understanding law and gospel, um, the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, justification and sanctification. You know, one of the things that happen Mm -hmm. when you don't get this right is a struggle with assurance. And when I, a lot of times I'll get messages from girls, I'm really struggling with assurance. Okay, well, why are you struggling with assurance? I don't know if um, I obey enough to be a Christian or just a really kind of a, a confusion. And a lot of times it's because of, you know, maybe what they grew up under, not a reformed understanding. But there's often just a confusion of justification and sanctification. Mm-hmm. And even what you were talking about, the freedom that we have now. And, you know, the the, the thing is, is we, we often will say, I, I'm struggling with, generally speaking, a non-Christian is not struggling with their sin. Right. Exactly. One of the things we want to talk about is just law and gospel in the Reformed tradition, you know, from Calvin until now. Because every once in a while, um, I'll see someone say that law gospel isn't Reformed, it's Lutheran. And there's uh, a lot of really great uh, quotes from different people. But not only that, it's look at the Heidelberg Catechism. Look at what Rachel read from Westminster earlier. And the Belgic that you read. And the Belgic Confession. Yeah, it, it's all over. And that's how we define what is Reformed, is from our, our confessions. We'll read some of, some of them, maybe not in their entirety, but we will put all of, all of these in the episode notes if you would like to go over them. And I have a lot of links on this topic for the episode notes. I was going to add that um, several of these came from a series that uh, Lane Keister did on his Green Baggins blog, uh, answering the question, is the law gospel distinction Lutheran? So um, I'm thankful for his work in pulling some of these together for us, uh, for our use. So Calvin, um, I'll read part of this. This is from Calvin's commentary um, on the last four books of Moses. Further, because Paul seems to abrogate the law as if nowadays it did not concern believers, we must now see how far this is the case. He does not treat of the law in the abstract, but sets it forth invested with those of its qualities, wherein it is opposed to the gospel. So you can see he's distinguishing here between the law and the gospel, for inasmuch as his controversy was with those who interpreted it amiss, he could not help contrasting the law with the gospel. So he's even talking here about how Paul does. Um, It's what we see in scripture. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, Calvin, in, later in that quote, you know, he talks about how the the real contrast between the law and the gospel is not that the law is less good, but it's our ability, our inability to keep it, right? That we're the problem <laughs> with keeping the law um, as sinners. And so, uh, you know, the, the contrast there is, again, you know, the law commands but cannot um, do what it commands, and the gospel is what Christ has done for us. And I have a, I think R. Scott Clark has a whole uh, post with uh, several quotes from Calvin that I'll include, because he's an, another one that's put together a lot of these quotes, um, both Lane Keister and R. Scott Clark. So, another quote that we have is from John Owen, and he said, uh, The order, relation, and use of the law and the gospel 
do uncontrollably evince the necessity of the conviction previous unto believing. For that which any man hath first to deal with all, which respect unto his internal condition, both naturally and by God's institution, is the law. Uh, which is a lot of uh, older language there to talk about this. But his point is, in order to understand the law and the gospel, first we have to understand the law. Uh, and it says, This is first presented unto the soul with its terms of righteousness and life, and with its curse in case of failure. Without this, the gospel cannot be understood, nor the grace of it duly valued. For it is the revelation of God's way for the relieving the souls of men from the sentence and curse of the law. And so his point there is, again, that there is a contrast uh, between law and gospel in the scriptures, and that it's necessary that we understand the, the contrast and understand the difference between the law and gospel so that we understand the gospel. So John Bunyan has a a book called The Doctrine of the Law and Grace Unfolded. And um, this is from volume one. I'll read part of it. It says, If there be the terror, horror, and severity of the law discovered to a people by the servants of Jesus Christ, though they do not speak of it to the end, people should trust to it. By relying on it as it is a covenant of works, which was what Rachel was talking about earlier, but rather that they should be driven further from that covenant, even to embrace the tenders and privileges of the second, yet poor souls, because they are unacquainted with the natures of those two covenants, or either of them. Therefore they say, Here is nothing but preaching of the law, thundering of the law, when alas, if these two be not held forth to wit, the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, together with the nature of the one and the nature of the other, souls will never be able to either know what they are by nature or what they lie under. So th- this kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier with the the covenant of lo- or yeah of works and the covenant of grace. Um, so it. Later on, he says, so long as people are ignorant of the nature of the law and of their being under it, that is, under the curse and condemning power of it, by reason of their sin against it, so long they will be careless and negligent as to the inquiring after the true knowledge of the gospel. So, he's distinguishing there between law and gospel. Yep. And that gets to also, as we'll be talking about next week, and the, the uses of the law. And, you know, obviously, in, in several of these, we've read that, you know, the a, a use of the law is to drive us to Christ. And we cannot understand the, the grace of the gospel unless we understand the curse of the law. And they are absolutely opposed to each other. Um, we see in a quote, Theodore Beza, uh, who wrote, Ignorance of the distinction between the law and the gospel is one of the principal sources of all the abuses which corrupt and still corrupt Christianity. Uh, so there's a, a, a very uh, succinct uh, differentiation between law and gospel. Um, we divide this word into two principal parts or kinds. The one is called the law, the other the gospel. For all the rest can be gathered under one or the other of these two headings. What we call the law, which is distinguished from the gospel and is taken for one of the two parts of the word, is a doctrine whose seed is written by nature in our hearts. What we call the gospel, good news, is a doctrine which is not at all in us by nature, but which is revealed from heaven and totally surpasses natural knowledge. Uh, 
By it, God testifies to us that it is His purpose to save us freely by His only Son, provided that by faith we embrace Him as our only wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And Beza actually has quite a few quotes, and I'll try to put, we're going to put the link uh, that Rachel talked about, the Lane Keister series, and some others where you can even read more quotes than what we have. Uh, we've talked about Zacharias Ursinus before, and he uh, was involved with the Heidelberg Catechism, and he's written a lot of really helpful stuff on law and gospel. And we actually have a lot from him because he's, he's got some really great stuff. And this is a quote that I've come back to quite often. He says, The doctrine of the church consists in two parts, the law and the gospel, in which we have comprehended the sum and substance of the sacred scriptures. The law is called the Decalogue, and the gospel is the doctrine concerning Christ the mediator and the free remission of sins through faith. The law and gospel are the chief and general divisions of the Holy Scriptures and comprise the entire doctrine comprehended therein. We have in the law and gospel the whole of the Scriptures comprehending the doctrine revealed from heaven for our salvation. I love that one because I just think it just describes it very succinctly there. Yes, it really does. And again, in talking about the Catechism and the Heidelberg, he says, The Catechism, in its primary and most general sense, may, divide, may be divided as the doctrine of the Church into the law and the gospel. These two parts are termed by the great mass of men, the Decalogue and the Apostles' Creed, because the Decalogue comprehends the substance of the law and the Apostles' Creed that of the gospel. And in, in the Heidelberg Catechism, for those that aren't familiar with it, there are um, you know, it starts out, um, what is my only comfort in life and in death? And and then it goes in and it talks about um, that the law shows us our sin and misery and, and what Christ has done for us and then how we live in gratitude. But within that, when it goes on, it has a section on the Ten Commandments and it also has a section on the Apostles' Creed. So that's what he's referring to there. Yeah, and I think that in general it's it's divided into the, the three. There's guilt, gr- grace, and gratitude. Yep. Very useful. I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, my my older boys are working through the Heidelberg Catechism now. They've they've done all the the shorter catechism and the uh, so now we're we're doing the Heidelberg as our memory work. And it's I that's that's such a great idea. I actually I don't know why I didn't think of that when my kids were younger. I cuz I love the Heidelberg when uh years ago, I think starting when I was pregnant with my third, we were in a a two-year study on the Heidelberg Catechism, and it was actually uh, a friend of ours that graduated from Westminster Seminary in California that taught it, and it was just one of my favorite studies that I've been in. And it, it was the first time I became familiar with the Heidelberg, but I love the guilt, grace, and gratitude. It's It's been interesting to see uh, both the similarities between you know the Westminster Catechisms and the uh, the Heidelberg, but also some of the the differences in in what's emphasized or how it's worded, and uh, not that either are wrong, but just the, how what they point out uh, and and how they complement each other. That's a good way to explain it: how they complement each yeah. other. You know, another thing I ran across when we were looking through long gospel quotes, um, it was something that was written. It's called "The Practical Use of Saving Knowledge Contained in Scripture," and holding forth briefly in the foresaid Confession of Faith and Catechism. So it's about the Westminster uh, 
Confession of Faith and Catechisms. Uh, I love these old book titles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's they're a ton- fabulous. Tongue twister there. <laughs> you get the whole, you know, synopsis of the book in the title. It's great. Um, but he says, it says this, The chief general use of Christian doctrine is to convince a man of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, partly by the law or covenant of works, that he may be humbled and become penitent, and partly by the gospel or covenant of grace, that he may become an unfeigned believer in Jesus Christ. It goes on, The sum of the covenant of works of the law is this, If you do all that is commanded, and not fail at any point, you shall be saved. But if you fail, you shall die. And the sum of the gospel or covenant of grace is this. If you flee from deserved wrath to the true Redeemer, Jesus Christ, you shall not perish, but have eternal life. So that has to do with our confession of faith again, and law and gospel in our Reformed tradition right there. Over and over and over again. Yep, definitely. Louis Burkhoff has uh, quite a bit, too. I have a systematic theology, and then he has, if, if you don't want his to read like a whole systematic theology not that i've sat and read through the whole thing i kind of use it for reference but he has a little a smaller version i think it's um i'll have to find the name because i forget the name i got it at a used bookstore like 20 years ago but it's a it's a great little option but here's a, a quote he has from a systematic theology the churches of the reformation from the very beginning distinguished between the law and the gospel as the two parts of the word of god as a means of grace The distinction was not understood to be identical with that between the Old and New Testament, but was regarded as a distinction that applies to both Testaments. There is law and gospel in the Old Testament. There is law and gospel in the New Testament. Or he says the new. But the law comprises everything in Scripture which is a revelation of God's will in the form of a command or prohibition, while the gospel embraces everything, whether it be in the Old Testament or in the new, that pertains to the work of reconciliation and that proclaims the seeking and redeeming love of God in Christ Jesus. That's another great quote about long gospel. And he recognizes that this has been this way from the beginning in um, the churches of the Reformation. Yes. Oh, and it, the distinction between law and gospel exists from the beginning of Scripture. You know, that Adam yes, having failed saw, to do this and live is promised uh, the Redeemer, you know, immediately yeah. after the curse is the promise. And yes, from yeah. the beginning. Um, another set of quotes, I think this is the, the last set that we're going to do today is uh, by Herman Bavinck and his Reformed uh, Dogmatics. And it's interesting to read through, because it's quite lengthy and uh, you know, kind of summarizing down some of what I read, but he talks about um, the Pauline, so Paul's antithesis between law and gospel, and then that the same antithesis of law and gospel was understood by the Reformation and the Reformers. So um, here's what he said, The law aroused fear and slavery, the gospel arouses love and freedom. The law could not justify in the full sense of the word. It provided no riches of grace. It bestowed no eternal salvation. But the gospel bestows in the sacrament the power of grace, which enables one to fulfill God's commands and obtain eternal life. Talking on about the reformers, he says that they kept in view the sharp contrast between law and gospel, and thereby restored the unique character of the Christian religion as a religion of grace. So he he explains there, uh, you know, we, what we mentioned that the Reformation 
uh, you know, one of the main focuses, one of the main points of the Reformation was this distinction between law and gospel, that we would understand law correctly so that we could understand the gospel and the grace of God correctly. Uh, he goes on to say, over and against the law stands the gospel of Christ, containing nothing less than the fulfillment of the Old Testament, coming to us from God, having Christ as its content, and bringing nothing else than grace, reconciliation, forgiveness, righteousness, peace, freedom, life. Like demand and gift, like command and promise, like sin and grace, like sickness and healing, like death and life, so here too, law and gospel, stand over against one another. That's a great quote. Mm. Well, this this really is us kind of building a foundation for what we're going to be talking about next week. And then just to, if there's any topics you'd like us to discuss, email us at theologygals at gmail.com because we always love getting suggestions. And next week we're going to really, I know this was a shorter episode, but next week we're going to dig more into the law and, uh, you know, why we obey. And I always think of Romans, um, Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? May it never be. We're going to talk about that right there. And also, a lot of times we'll get new ladies in the group and they'll ask, well, which laws do we obey? And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the civil, ceremonial, and moral laws and uh, just some of those different things that have to do with the law specifically. So it'll be primarily a focus on the law next week. And then we, we're hoping to have a guest to kind of talk about antinomianism and, and some of those different topics. So thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week.